We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month which obviously no pressure whatever you've got we are so appreciative to have but we have awesome gifts for you if you want a hand addressed letter from morgan and isabeau maybe with some special whoa stickers other merch just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons Hello and welcome to another chapter with Romance's public access read-along of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I am your even chapter reader, Isabeau. And I am the odd chapter reader, Morgan. Thank God you're here, Morgan. What (laughs) happened in chapter 5, or 25? That's a really good question. (laughs) I think we're just like continuing to deal. Mr. Collins leaves. He comes again, he leaves. And Lizzie gets to have this conversation with her aunt. Am I right? Yes, Mrs. Gardner. Yeah, Mrs. Gardner. So her aunt and uncle come to visit. And Lizzie gets to have this conversation with her aunt about Mr. Darcy. And also about Wickham, who happens to be there. And her aunt gets to observe her with Mr. Wickham. Uh, And Lizzie, I think, misinterprets her aunt's feelings on both men. (laughs) Yes. Perfect. Chapter 26. Mrs. Gardner's caution to Elizabeth was punctually and kindly given on the first favorable opportunity of speaking to her alone. After honestly telling her which she thought, she thus went on, You are too sensible a girl, Lizzie, to fall in love merely because you are warned against it, and therefore I am not afraid of speaking openly. Seriously, I would have you be on your guard. Do not involve yourself or endeavor to involve him in an affection which the want of fortune would make so very imprudent. I have nothing to say against him. He's a most interesting young man, and if he had the fortune he ought to have, I should think you could not do better. But as it is, you must not let your fancy run away with you. You have sense, and we all expect you to use it. Your father would depend on your resolution and good conduct, I am sure. You must not disappoint your father. My dear aunt, this is being serious indeed. Yes, and I hope to engage you to be serious likewise. Well then, you need not be under any alarm. I will take care of myself and of Mr. Wickham too. He shall not be in love with me if I can prevent it. Elizabeth, you are not being serious now. I beg your pardon, I will try again. At present, I am not in love with Mr. Wickham. No, I am certainly not. But he is, beyond all comparison, the most agreeable man I ever saw. And if he becomes really attached to me, I believe it will be better that he should not. I see the imprudence of it. Oh, that abominable Mr. Darcy. My father's opinion of me does the greatest honor, and I should be miserable to forfeit (laughs) it. My father 
however, is partial to Mr. Wickham. In short, my dear aunt, I should be very sorry to be the means of making any of you unhappy, but since we see every day that where there is affection, young people are seldom withheld by immediate want of fortune from entering into engagements with each other, how can I promise to be wiser than so many of my fellow creatures? If I am tempted, or how am I even to know that it would be wisdom to resist? All that I can promise you, therefore, is not to be in a hurry." I will not be in a hurry to believe myself his first object. When I, in, when I am in company with him, I will not be wishing. In short, I will do my best. Hmm. Perhaps it will be as well if you discourage his coming here so very often. At least you should not remind your mother of inviting him. As I did the other day, said Elizabeth with a conscious smile. Very true. It will be wise in me to refrain from that. But do not imagine that he is always here so often. It is on your account that he has been so frequently invited this week. You know my mother's ideas as to the necessity of constant company for her friends. But really, and upon my honor, I will try to do what I think to be wisest. And now I hope you are satisfied. Her aunt assured her that she was, and Elizabeth, having thanked her for her kindness of her hints, they parted, a wonderful instance of advice being given on such a point without being resented. Hmm. <laughs> that is nice. That is nice. <laughs> Mr. Collins returned to Hertfordshire soon after it had been quitted by the gardeners and Jane, but as he took up his abode with the Lucases, his arrival was no great inconvenience to Mrs. Bennet. His marriage was now fast approaching, and she was at length so far resigned as to think it inevitable, and even repeatedly to say, in an ill-natured tone, that she wished they might be happy. <laughs> Thursday was to be the wedding day, and on Wednesday, Miss Lucas paid her farewell visit. <laughs> and when she rose to take leave, Elizabeth, ashamed of her mother's ungracious and reluctant good wishes, and sincerely affected herself, accompanied her out of the room. As they went down the stairs together, Charlotte said, I shall depend on hearing from you very often, Eliza. That you certainly shall. And I have another favor to ask. Will you come and see me? We shall often meet, I hope, in Hertfordshire. I am not likely to leave Kent for some time. Promise me, therefore, to come to Hunsford. Elizabeth could not refuse, though she foresaw little pleasure in the visit. My father and Maria are to come in March, added Charlotte, and I hope you will consent to be of the party. Indeed, Eliza, you will be as welcome to me as either of them. The wedding took place. The bride and bridegroom set off for Kent from the church door, and everybody had as much to say or to hear on the subject as usual. Elizabeth soon heard from her friend, and their correspondence was as regular and frequent as it ever as it had ever been. That it should be equally unreserved was impossible. Elizabeth could never address her without feeling that all the comfort of intimacy was over, and though determined not to slacken as a correspondent, it was for the sake of what had been rather than what was. Charlotte's first letters were received with a good deal of eagerness. There could not be curiosity to know how she would speak of her new home, how she would like Lady Catherine, how happy she would dare pronounce herself to be, though when the letters were read, Elizabeth felt that Charlotte expressed herself on every point exactly as she might have foreseen. She wrote cheerfully, seemed surrounded with comforts, and mentioned nothing which she could not praise. The house, the furniture, the neighborhoods, and roads were all to her taste, and Lady Catherine's behavior was most friendly and obliging. It was Mr. Collins' picture of Hunsford and Rosings rationally softened, and Elizabeth perceived that she must wait for her own visit there to know the rest. 
Jane had already written a few lines to her sister to announce their safe arrival in London, and when she wrote again, Elizabeth hoped it would be in her power to say something of the Bingleys. Her impatience for the second letter was as well rewarded as impatience generally is. Jane had been a week in town without either seeing or hearing from Caroline. She accounted for it, however, by supposing that her last letter to her friend from Longbourn had by some accident been lost. My aunt, she continued, is going tomorrow into that part of town, and I shall take the opportunity of calling it Grosvenor Street. She wrote again when the visit was paid, and she, and she had seen Miss Bingley. I did not think Caroline in spirits, were her words, but she was very glad to see me and reproached me for giving her no notice of my coming to London. I was right, therefore. My last letter had never reached her. I inquired after their brother, of course. He was well, but so much engaged with Mr. Darcy that they scarcely ever saw him. I found that Miss Darcy was expected to dinner. I wish I could see her. My visit was not long, as Caroline and Miss Hurst were going out. I dare say I shall see, I shall soon see them here. Elizabeth shook her head over this letter. It convinced her that accident only could discover to Mr. Bingley her sister's being in town. Four weeks passed away, and Jane saw nothing of him. She endeavored to persuade herself that she did not regret it, but she could no longer be blind to Miss Bingley's inattention. After waiting at home every morning for a fortnight and inventing every evening a fresh excuse for her, the visitor did not at last appear. Oh, the visitor did at last appear. And the shortness of her stay, and yet more, the alteration of her manner would allow Jane to deceive herself no longer. The letter which she wrote on this occasion to her sister will prove what she felt. My dearest Lizzie, will, I am sure, be incapable of triumphing in her better judgment at my expense when I confess myself to have been entirely deceived in Miss Bingley's regard for me. But, my dear sister, though the event has proved you right, do not think me obstinate if I still assert that, considering what her behavior was, my confidence was as natural as your suspicion. I do not at all comprehend her reason for wishing to be intimate with me, but if the same circumstances were to happen again, I am sure I should be deceived again. Caroline did not return my visit till yesterday, and not a note, not a line did I receive in the meantime. When she did come, it was very evident that she had no pleasure in it. She made a slight formal apology for not calling before, said not a word of wishing to see me again, and was in every respect so altered a creature that when she went away, I was perfectly resolved to continue the acquaintance no longer. I pity, though, I cannot help blaming her. She's very wrong in singling me out as she did. I can safely say that every advance to intimacy began on her side. But I pity her, because she must feel that she has been acting wrong, and because I am very sure that anxiety for her brother is the cause of it. I need not explain myself farther, and though we know this anxiety be quite needless, yet if she feels it will easily account for her behavior to me, and so deservedly dear as he is to his sister, whatever anxiety she may feel on his behalf is natural, natural and amiable. I cannot but wonder, however, at her having such fears now, because if he had at all cared about me, I mean, we must have let, met long, long ago. He knows of my being in town, I am certain, from something she said herself, and yet it should seem, by her manner of talking, as if she wanted to persuade herself that he is really partial to Miss Darcy. I cannot understand it. If I were not afraid of judging harshly, I should be almost tempted to say that there is a strong appearance of duplicity in all of this, but I will endeavor to banish every painful thought and think only of what will make me happy your affection and the invariable kindness of my dear uncle and aunt let me hear from you very soon miss bingley said something of <sighs> miss bingley said something of his never returning to netherfield again of giving up the house but not with any certainty we have we bet we had better not mention it i'm extremely glad 
that you have such pleasant accounts from our friends at Hunsford. Pray go see them with Sir William and Mariah. I am sure you will be very comfortable there. Yours. This letter gave Elizabeth some pain, but her spirits returned as she considered that Jane would no longer be duped by the sister, at least. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that makes me laugh. Like, duped. Like... Duped is good. Yeah, like, just ye old duped. Something charming about it coming from a Jane Austen novel. She would not even wish for any renewal of his attentions. His character sunk on every review of it. And as a punishment for him, as well as a possible advantage to Jane, she seriously hoped he might soon marry Mr. Darcy's sister, as by Wickham's account, she would make him abundantly regret that he had thrown what he had thrown away. Mrs. Gardner about this time reminded Elizabeth of her promise concerning that gentleman and required information. And Elizabeth had such descent as might rather give contentment to her aunt than to herself. His apparent partiality had subsided. His attentions were over. He was the admirer of someone else. Elizabeth was watchful enough to see it all, but she could see it and write of it without material pain. Her heart had been but slightly touched, and her vanity was satisfied with believing that she would have been his only choice had fortune permitted it. The sudden acquisition of £10,000 was the most remarkable charm of the young lady to whom he was now rendering himself agreeable. But Elizabeth, less clear-sighted perhaps in this case than in Charlotte's, did not quarrel with him for his for his wish of independence. Nothing, on the contrary, could be more natural. Oof! Slam at the patriarchy there. And while able to suppose that it cost him a few struggles to relinquish her, she was ready to allow it a wise and desirable measure for both, and could very sincerely wish him happy. All this was acknowledged to Mrs. Gardner, and after relating the circumstances, she thus went on. I am now convinced, my dear aunt, that I have never been much in love. For had I really experienced that pure and elevating passion, I should at present detest his very name and wish him all manner of evil. But my feelings are not only cordial towards him, they are even impartial towards Miss King. I cannot find out that I hate her at all, or that I am in the least unwilling to think her a very good sort of girl. There can be no love in all of this. (laughs) My watchfulness has been effectual, and though I should certainly be a more interesting object to all my acquaintance were I distractedly in love with him, I cannot say that I regret my comparative insignificance. Importance may sometimes be purchased too dearly. Kitty and Lydia make his defection much more to heart than I do. They are young in the ways of the world, and yet not yet open to the mortifying conviction that handsome young men must have something to live on, as well as the plain. Well, a plot chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to have something take place that changes the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of plots, lots of letters. I wonder, I had this thought when you were reading Elizabeth talking to her aunt and trying to convince her aunt that Wickham is no big deal. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Austin likes Lizzie. Or I guess in like the intellectual way to phrase that question would be, how do we think the text (laughs) feels about the main character? In this instance? Well, I think just in the book so far, it's something that's kind of come to my attention. This feels like one of the first chapters where the book is kind of elucidating on 
Elizabeth's blind spots. Yeah. Like her blind spot about Wickham. But in particular, throwing our understanding as audience to the fact that she's being meaner to Charlotte, her dear friend, her like longtime bosom bud. She's being harsher to Charlotte for Charlotte's choices about independence, comfort, and resource than she is to Wickham, a handsome dude that she's only known a handful of months. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool of the text. I agree. I think we were both kind of like annoyed. I I mean, I felt kind of annoyed with this reading on like how precious Lizzie seems. Mm Mm-hmm. But her falling in in like or whatever with Wickham, I think has been, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like... I have memories of reading this when I was a younger person and just identifying entirely with like what was on, like just accepting it and taking it at face value. Mm -hmm. And this reading, I don't know if it's because I'm older and I've had more life experience, but it seems like so much more is on the page than is on the page. And I wonder if that's fair or if that's just me. I think it's very fair. I think this book is incredibly deep for how pithy it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for such a pithy drawing room novel, like the epistle that we have from Jane where she's like, I think I'm being like, there's an air of duplicity, but I'm not going to think anything that makes me unhappy Mm -hmm. is like, oh, that feels both damaging, but also important for Jane. And she admits that Elizabeth is right. And then Elizabeth is like, well, I'm glad at least that you are awake to this. And then she writes the letter to Miss Gardner about like, I don't think I've been very much in love. If I were, I think I would hate him. But, you know, young man's got to (laughs) eat. And I think that because we have so many voices in this relatively short chapter that we're, we're actually given like what feels like an entire meal, right? Like it's a it's a fully renowned place. Like we're in London, we're in Longbourn, we're in Meryton, we're in Hunsford via Charlotte's letters, which Elizabeth rightly assumes are lies and that she'll get the truth of it when she finally visits. But because we have all of these letters and all of these different voices, this chapter feels incredibly rich. And so it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that there's so much more here than the text on the page. Yeah. And I think like this piece about this conversation where Charlotte says, I shall depend on hearing from you very often, Eliza. That you certainly shall. And I have another favor to ask. Will you come and see me? We shall often meet, I hope, in Hertfordshire. I'm not likely to leave Kent for some time. Promise me, therefore, to come to Hunsford. Elizabeth could not refuse, and she foresaw little pleasure in the visit. Uh, My father and Mariah are come to me in March, added Charlotte, and I hope you will consent to be of the party. Indeed, Eliza, you will be as welcome to me as either of them. And it's this, and we don't see Lizzie tell her, yes, I'll come and visit you. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you say the, the letters will be lies, but I think for now, like, you know, Charlotte has made her happiness known and we know that it's like a bitter happiness, but there is something I think mm-hmm. redemptive of Charlotte in indicting Lizzie in this exchange. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get like the soft, like 
the volume goes up on it when we clearly see her hedging with her aunt saying like, well, I mean, the thing is, is like my dad really likes Wickham. So I'll try, um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then like her dishonesty with herself and like her, I think we're starting to, I think the book is starting to reveal her as an unreliable source as unreliable as everybody else. And I mm-hmm. think early on that wasn't necessarily clear. Now there are these like little mm-hmm. things that kind of back off from that. Like um, a wonderful instance of advice being given on such a point without being resented. And it's it's like that feels like it could be dishonest, right? Like a continuation of Lizzie's perspective being dishonest, except it kind of comes in hard in the third after being going through this, like, really long piece of dialogue. Um, and so it's almost like the the book itself is kind of daintily uh, stepping around, expressing its true feelings, which is all Lizzie sees everyone doing around her in this chapter. I think that it's so right to call it an indictment of Lizzie, and you're right, to to point out the fact that she doesn't answer the affirmative when Charlotte asks, because then in Jane's letter, she closes with, I do hope that you'll go to Hunsford with Sir William and Mariah as the most gentle sort of nudge to a longstanding friendship. Tough act to follow. Do you got anything else? <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I can't wait to see what happens in the next chapter. All right, me neither. Um, so, looking forward to reading to you chapter 27. Uh, loosen your prejudices. Maybe not your prides this time. <laughs> Guacamole, everyone! Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzac. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time. <laughs>